My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Hi, my name is Maria Carter. My husband and I and my family have been going to Sunrise for about five years plus. And um, I work for Intel for about 24 years now. My husband and I own a surplus store, which is probably about 17 years now. My husband left Intel earlier to start this business, and we use our business for many, many different ways, uh, including helping teachers and veterans and whoever else that needs help, um, we're there for them. And not only offering, you know, the nice techie gadgets, but um, uh, we do all kinds of stuff, including volunteer, uh, volunteer work that we do many times a year, uh, as many times as people ask us to do it. Uh, we try to make time, even if people always say, you know, how come we're busy? We carve out the time to make it so. Expanding Your Horizon was started in Lewis County, Washington, um, up at Centralia College. It was organized by a set of uh, ladies that is looking for helping young students, young female students, uh, preferably in their middle school ages. there's a lot of remote areas in Washington where they don't have the technology available around here in Hillsboro, like Intel and all the surrounding uh, schools that are uh, nearby all these high-tech uh, electronics companies. I go there uh, yearly to bring something up to the class and present something that um, the students can experience something that uh, is related to the stuff that I do here at Intel and stuff that uh, we basically work in the fab, give them an inside vision of what's what's like and talk to them about my journey because I also came here from, I'm not a a natural born person citizen here. I am a migrant uh, that came here about 30-some years ago, and to me, the the opportunity for school is a big deal for me. Uh, having that future and being able to provide for my family, which more or less I would not get from where I came from in the Philippines. Um, having that uh, thought of giving back to the communities, something that I was thinking when I was in college. You know, sometimes in our life we look at ourselves and you go, you know, what can I do? What can I do, not only for yourself, but for others? And one thing that my husband and I uh, basically, and it's nothing like we planned this at all. We basically um, came together and we realized we have some interests that we could do good 
for others, help others, and use use it and also have fun at the same time. It's serving others is something that it's hard. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that. It takes a lot of preparation, but the end result is when you see that smiling face when that student comes to you and you, they say that we enjoyed your class, can we stay longer, can you come back? Um, that is the passion and the drive that gives me the energy to do it again. Um, it's not about how much I spent or what I did. It's seeing that student uh, smiling at me and, and that's the thing that it's a give back that I enjoy so much. And, um, and seeing them later on, um, I had a student who uh, came back and says, hey, Maria, I'm an engineer now. And uh, I go, what did I do? And then, I was in your class many years ago, and look at me now. And to me, affecting one person can do so much more later on. So as James was saying earlier, I'm Jack. I'm the children's pastor here at Sunrise. I had a, a really nice introduction all ready for you guys, but I actually had a throwaway yesterday um, because the thing is, when I was sitting here in worship yesterday and sitting in here with worship to, with you guys today, I was just overwhelmed by my love for you guys. I, I love Sunrise, and I love Sunrise because the people that make up this church, and so I'm excited that I get to talk to you guys today. So we are continuing our Mark series, and we're actually going to be diving into uh, Mark Three, uh, verses 1 through 6. The wall Bible here will show you the words. So Jesus went to the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he held the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away, and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Honestly, that story is kind of boring. It just is, because really, we are looking at the story and going, okay, Jesus goes, sees a man needs to be healed, he heals him. Oh no, the Pharisees, the bad guys have a problem with that. Whatever, go Jesus. <laughs> but the thing is, like, it wasn't boring to the first century Jews, first reading the story. It was actually kind of a shocking story in the beginning. Uh, so it reminds me of um, actually how I felt watching my favorite TV show. So I was uh, watching my, I'm not going to tell you the show because I want to ruin it because it's worth watching, but uh, I was watching the show with my sister. We watch it every single week together, and it's a family-friendly show. It's like PG, like highly recommended, and this we like the main character, but the best character is like the secondary character, the comedic character. And he got in trouble with the villain. And I'm not worried. It's a family TV show. And so I'm just I'm sitting here watching it. But it starts getting more tense. And I, like, I lean forward. And it gets even more tense. And I have this thing where I kind of put my hands in my hair when I'm like ill stressed. And eventually I gotta stand up. And I'm like, oh, pacing. 
And my sister's just like giving me like this weird look, like, what's wrong with you? And I'm pacing though, because I'm stressed. This is the best character. I will stop watching this, this show if this, this character's gone. I and you know what happened? He did die. He died in that moment. And I was like, what? 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 <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was shocking. And the thing is, that's exactly what the first century Jews would be experiencing with the story. It's actually a shocking story. But we don't find it shocking because we don't have the same context as them. And I don't think we can get in the same place where it's just as shocking. But I think we can understand why they were shocked. And I think the story can actually have more meaning for us. And so we're going to go way back to the beginning of the Jewish people. And, uh, you know, and we're going to look at, like, why is the law important? And also, who, who are the Pharisees actually? Because all we know them as is the bad guys in the Jesus stories. So going back to our timeline, we start with Abraham. So the thing is, humanity churned against God. But God loves humanity, and he didn't churn his back on humanity. He wanted to save humanity. So he chose one individual for this task, and his name was Abraham. And I'm going to paraphrase a bunch of Bible stories, so this is not word for word. But basically, God was like, Abraham, I'm going to send you somewhere. I'm going to give you an awesome land. I'm going to give you lots of descendants, and the whole world's going to be blessed through you. And Abraham's like, cool, let's do it. And he goes. And God actually does what he says. Abraham has millions of descendants a few hundred years later. Problem is, though, they weren't in the promised land of Israel. They were in Egypt. But God falls through on his promises. So he took the Jews out of Egypt, and he brought them to the promised land. But on the way there... um, They started at Mount... Stopped at... They stopped at Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God talked to the, the Israelites, and they said, hey, I talked to Abraham. He's my representative. You guys will also be my representative. And they're like, okay, cool. We got it. He's like, all right. But if you're going to be my representative, you are going to have to actually reflect my character, reflect my heart. And so here are a bunch of laws. And these laws do reflect God's character, God's heart, And uh, so, law tablets, and the next law. So some laws are really simple, like, you must not murder. We all know this this is good. Nobody's like, is God's heart murder, or is God's heart don't murder? We're all like, yes, this makes sense. This reflects God's character. Some of the laws get a little more, a little less obvious, like the next one. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So this is a little less obvious than the don't murder one, but it actually still shows God's heart. He wants people to come to him, to have a relationship with him. And so just as God 
made the whole world in six days, and then rested on the seventh, the Israelites will also work for six days and rest on the seventh. It reflects who God is. And on top of that, it actually is good for people to have a day of rest. So this too shows God's heart. But it gets even more obscure, like the next, next one. Now suppose mildew contaminates some clothing. If the contaminated area in the clothing has turned greenish or reddish, it is contaminated with mildew. It must be shown to the priest. After examining the affected spot, the priest will put the article in quarantine for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest must inspect it again. If the contaminated area has spread the clothing, it is clearly contaminated by serious mildew and is ceremonially unclean. The priest must burn the item, for it has been contaminated by a serious mildew. It must be completely destroyed by fire. So now we're talking about mildew. And actually, there's a lot of other laws about mold and houses and other things about mold and mildew. But this, too, reflects God's heart. It reflects God's love. You know, mildew, mold, it's harmful to us. And it'd be easy for somebody to maybe cut off that moldy piece, sell the cloth, and uh, make some money, but harm somebody in the process. But God's heart is that people don't get harmed. And so we have specific laws keeping people safe. So there are a lot of things like this all through um, the law that's given to the Israelites. And all of it does show God's character. And the Israelites get this, and they're like, yes, we can do this. And God's like, cool. Now, I'm going to have you prosper, but if you misrepresent me, I will have to punish you. I will have to send you into exile to correct this, because if you don't represent me well, then people aren't going to come to me, and that defeats the whole purpose of this thing. The Israelites were confident, like, yes, we got this. The problem is they didn't, and they went downhill pretty fast. So, and it got worse and worse. And it's not like it's just a moral thing where it's just like, oh, just breaking the rule, no consequences. It was hurting other people. By breaking the law, they were hurting each other. And it was getting worse and worse and worse to the point where God was sending these people called prophets. And these prophets would tell people, God doesn't want this. God wants you to turn back to good, treat each other well. And not only did the Israelites not listen to God and his prophets, but they started murdering God's prophets. That's bad. And so it did get to the point where they were exiled. God sent them into exile. And over time, they did repent. And God brought them back. And things were looking good at first. But within a generation or two, it wasn't good. They were going back to their old ways of hurting one another and not following God's heart. Now, at this point, um, there's another slide on there. Yeah. At this point, um, we are exiting the Old Testament. We're getting to about 400 um, years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's important because we still see a pattern here because now the Greeks come and the Greeks take over Israel. Now you can only imagine being an Israelite. You got punished of exile. You came back. 
you start not doing God's heart still, and then you get conquered again, you're going to get kind of like, you start seeing the pattern. Hmm, maybe if we keep on not following God's heart, maybe we're going to keep on being put in exile. And so the Israelites were getting pretty uh, uh, zealous. They were just like, yes, we need to start following God. If we follow God, we're not going to be in exile anymore. And so they got really, really intense. And, but the more they, intense they got, the more the Greeks were like, this is a problem. Let's stop them from worshiping God, and we'll, the squash all this rebellious behavior. And so they started putting uh, idols in their temple. They started destroying the scriptures. They would force priests to eat pig, which was against the law, and do other things like that where it was creating a lot of tension. And it got to the point where there's this one particularly uh, important turning point where uh, a priest in a village named Matthias um, with another priest was approached by a Roman soldier, and the Roman soldier was going to force him to eat pig. Now, Matthias didn't want to break the law, so he refused. But the priest next to him said, I'll do it. Now, Matthias was so zealous for the law, he so wanted to not break the law that he stabbed the Roman soldier. But first, he stabbed the priest so the priest wouldn't break the law by eating pig. That is how intense it got. And that created the Maccabee Revolution. And so they were able to kick Greece out. Now, out of the Maccabees came people we know as the Pharisees. Now, we know them as the bad guys, but originally they weren't. These were the people going, we need to stop disobeying God. We need to start actually following God's laws. And they started to actually really do it. And so these people who were leading the way, leading the spiritual charge for following God's laws, were the Pharisees. And these were the heroes of the time. And by now, they're no longer called Israelites, they're called Jews. But so the Jewish people were like, okay, we're going to follow these guys. And to them, it was like C.S. Lewis, it was like Bonhoeffer, it was like Billy Graham, they were like James Gleason. We all were like, how do they live? Let's live like them. And you know what? They did get really zealous. They got so intense, they built laws around their laws. And here's the problem, though. Rome came, and they conquered Israel. And I can only imagine being an Israelite, right, or a Jew at this point, where I'm like, okay, wait a second. We are really, really following God's laws. We have laws around the laws. We're still being conquered. What are we doing wrong? It must have been so frustrating. And you can only imagine why it got even more intense, where they got so intense about the laws that it it was almost silly. You know, there's actually this rumor going around at that time of Jesus where some Pharisees believed that if everyone in Israel followed uh, the Sabbath and didn't break the Sabbath for two Sabbaths in a row, that God would come and rescue them. Like, that's how much they lifted up following the rules, following these laws. But that also brings us back to our story in Mark, because at this point, we know that the law is important. It shows God's heart, but also we know that the Pharisees are the spiritual heroes that are showing the way 
onto how to follow God's heart to the Jewish people. So I've rewritten the story a little bit using what we talked about. You won't see this in your Bibles. So a new teacher went into church again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, the Jewish heroes of the faith watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. The teacher said to the man with a deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law allow you to do good on the Sabbath, or does it allow you to do evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him because they realized they were wrong. He looked around at the heroes of the faith angrily and deeply saddened by their pride. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once the Jewish heroes of the faith went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill this teacher named Jesus. You know, Jesus looked like he was doing the wrong thing to the Pharisees, but actually he wasn't breaking the law. The Pharisees were just so focused on the letter of the law, what the law said, that they weren't able to look past it to God's heart behind it. Jesus, on the other hand, he knew the, the rules. He knew the law. He knew the instructions. But he also knew God's heart behind them. And so he's actually able to do the law properly. Now, the Pharisees didn't recognize this. And when they did recognize it a bit, it just made them angry. And their pride got in the way of seeing God's heart. But this leads me to wonder about ourselves. Um, specifically, I, I wonder about us with kids. I wonder when we interact with kids as a community, are we teaching them um, God's heart or are we teaching them a set of do's and don'ts? And I know I've lost a bunch of you right now because you're like, I'm not a parent. And that's okay because I'm actually not specifically talking to parents right now. I'm actually talking to us as a community. I'm talking to us as Sunrise because, yeah, there are more obvious um, interactions with kids like parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, older brothers, older sisters, but we all interact with kids. And even when we don't know we're interacting with kids. So like, yeah, some of you are like working in common grounds and kids are getting their, you know, really sugary drinks. Some of you are like running into kids and with their families at stores. Some of you have like really good friends who have kids who come over and like you interact with those kids. There are lots of ways we interact with kids. And so how as a community are we interacting with them? And I see in the story three ways that Jesus teaches us how to actually, you know, share the heart of God with people. And uh, just looking at how he did it with the Pharisees, I think we can see how we can do it with kids. So the first thing I see is that Jesus models the heart of God. Uh, it'd be really easy for Jesus to not heal the man on the Sabbath. He could wait 24 hours. He could find that man, heal his hand. There'd be no controversy over the healing. Everyone would be happy except for Jesus, except for God. I, I think Jesus can't wait a day. I don't think Jesus will wait a day to do good in somebody's life. And he modeled that. But I also think he's intentionally modeling to the Pharisees the heart of God. I think he's intentionally showing them that this is God's heart to heal on the Sabbath. And yeah, I, I think that's what the, we should also be doing. I think about in my own life. Uh, my father passed away when I was 13. And I was lucky to have a lot of adults in my life who were willing to just be there for me and model God's heart 
But the person who, like, most sticks out in my brain is my godfather, Carl Katniss. Carl was super wise, and during middle school and high school, there's a lot of messy situations one finds themselves in, and I knew I could always come to Carl and ask him for advice. And I often did, and I really don't remember, like, anything he actually said, but I remember how he said it. I remember that I can go to him, ask a question, he would really listen to me, he would sit back, he would think about it for what felt like forever, <laughs> and then he would speak, and he would have the wisest things to say. And even after I started interacting with him less because I went off to college and eventually I went off to Portland and now I'm here, that has always stuck with me. And as an impulsive speaker when I was really young, it really started shaping me even when I wasn't seeing him. And even now I find myself to become more and more of a thoughtful speaker because of that one example that just I can't get rid of. Also, when I think about um, just modeling God's heart, I, I think about our kids' ministry. I am a little biased. I think we have a great kids' ministry. Um, but the thing is, we can take away the building and the curriculum and the games and the crafts, and we can put all the kids and the volunteers on a grassy hill, and I think it would still be an amazing kids' program. Because I think the best thing about our kids' program is the fact that we have these volunteers who are willing to come in often every week, to hang out with your kids, the kids of this community, to greet them with a smile, to learn about their lives, to teach them about God, to mediate conflict, and to also model what it looks like to serve so that one day they may also come to serve just like they are. I just think that that is the most powerful thing I've really ever seen in a kids' ministry, is hearts ready to model. And so, as you leave today, and no, the message isn't over, but as you leave today, think about the fact that, like, you are a model whether or not you want to be. Because when you are in the store having a little bit of a conflict with a cashier, and there's a kid from church who sees you but you don't see them, you're modeling. When you have your friends come over and their kids come over too, and you smile at them and greet them instead of ignore them or have like a grumpy face, like you're modeling something to those kids. And so there are a million situations that you will be modeling. And I would just say use that in favor of Christ. Use that as an opportunity to show the kids Christ's heart. The second thing I see is that Jesus invited the Pharisees to, to discover God's heart. So Jesus could have easily been like, hey, Pharisees, you're wrong. This is God's heart. But he doesn't. He actually asks them questions, and he's hoping that they actually answer in a way that they discover God's heart. You can see that because he's actually saddened and angered that they refuse to enter into the conclusions that he's trying to help them into. I have this memory of my father, great dad, negative, negative moment, but uh, I did something wrong, and I can't remember what it was. And my dad was just like, why didn't you do A? And I was just like, I would have done A. But all I could think of was B and C. And I knew C was, like, dumb. But B seemed a lot better. So I did B because it was, like, the best option. 
And he's just like, but why didn't you do A? And I'm like, because I'm a kid, and I can't think of A. (laughs) So I think that happens a lot more often than we think of kids. I think kids generally want to do the right thing. I think that usually one of two things in the way. Sometimes kids want to do the right thing, but they also want to do the bad thing just a little bit more, and there's a conflict in them. And I think sometimes they want to do the right thing, and they actually are trying but they actually just don't know the better thing. And I think that if we slow down and help them into it, they actually can choose the better thing more often. I I think about um, the fact that, and this is kind of embarrassing, I I was a terrible eater, like, most of my life. Like, and terrible as in, like, just messy. Like, I just could not eat well. And all my life, I had people telling me, like, hey, eat better, don't be so messy, you're a terrible eater. And it was frustrating because I think as a kid, especially, like, I tried to do nothing more than be a good eater. Like, I, so much effort was put into it, but so much failure. And this was a problem getting into my early 20s. And I remember I was sitting on the floor of my friend's kitchen eating a snack while my friend was cooking. And I was just eating, and he's like, you are such a messy eater. And I'm, like, frustrated. I'm like, I know I've tried, and the anger was evident. And so my friend Ryan, he was just like, hey, let's figure this out. So Ryan crouches on the floor. He's about a foot away from my face, and he's like, eat. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I start eating. It's messy. I probably hit his face with food. And he's just like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And about a minute in, he's just like, okay, first off, when you eat a bite, you're not swallowing it before you put the next bite in. So, like, that's creating a problem. You're building up a lot of food in your mouth. And then, second, why are you grabbing the food with your lips? Use your teeth. And I'm like, thank you. And you know what? The next day, I was a lot better at eating. <laughs> like, because he slowed down. And he actually talked to me about it and, and discovered what I was doing wrong. And honestly, that's not the only time Ryan's helped me. I was, for years, so criticized for my driving. I was the worst driver, like, and like always slamming on the brakes. And my friend turns to me, Ryan, he's just like, you are the worst driver. And I was like, I know, I'm trying. And he's like, okay, you know, if you just scoot your seat back away from the wheel, you won't have to slam on the brakes every time. I'm like, noted. And you know what? I'm a better driver now. (laughs) Because once again, he was just so good at slowing down, finding the problem, discovering it with me, and helping me enter into the right conclusion. And you know, I know those aren't very, like, like, things about love, but I think the same things would be happened. We can do the same things with kids and teaching them what God's heart's like. Sometimes when they are consistently misbehaving, there's a reason that we need to actually slow down look at them with, and be like, you know, maybe you're doing this because of this. And I think it honestly would be a more effective um, strategy than our usual strategy of like, hey, stop, don't. So, that's that. The third point, and my most important point. So, it's Jesus accepted God's love, and I know it's not in this story per se, but in the beginning of Mark, Jesus is baptized. 
and God rips open the skies, and the Holy Spirit lands on him, and God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus accepted that love. Jesus knew that God loved him, God liked him, that God was proud of him, and when we believe in Jesus, we also become sons and daughters of God, and you know what? God loves us, and God likes us, and God's proud of us, and I think that if we don't actually accept that, we're not going to be able to do any of the things I've actually just talked about. We can try, but I just don't think we can do a good job at helping kids learn God's heart if we can't accept God's heart for us. So if there's one thing you grab from this talk today, it's this. Jesus loves you.